Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. The nativity scene. Mary and Joseph. Sweet little baby Jesus. On lawns all over the place, some inflatable, some cutouts, on people's mantles, on their tables, little figurines that I, told, I was told I couldn't touch when I was a kid, even though I really wanted to play with the camel. Such a sweet scene, a silent night. Just, just get you right there, don't it? And it's so interesting because this, this scene, it's just in our imagination. It's in our hearts and minds. And it's so, it's so beautiful and so sweet and so cute. But it's not cute, is it? No. No, it's not. See, the way we see it, it's very sanitized. Jesus being born in a manger, a feeding trough for animals, in a stable. And if you've ever been in a stable, it's not cute. It's where the animals live. It's where they do everything. But what we have to consider is that this baby isn't cute and cuddly. See, this baby is dangerous. In fact, this baby, in just a short time from this scene right here, will be, it'll be said of this baby by a priest that he'll cause many to stumble. Even his own mother will say that this baby will take down the proud and lift up the humble. And that same priest even said that that very message would pierce his mother's heart. And let's talk about his mother for a little bit, shall we? And she's world famous. World famous. All over the place. Venerated, appreciated, valued. But as she was told that her child would be the Messiah, the one to redeem not only her own nation but the world, I wonder what she thought. What was she really thinking, knowing that possibly, but not fully, that her child, in order to save the world, would have to die? I love Christmas time. I really do. But I also don't like Christmas time in a way. And I'll be honest about it, is because Christmas time is great, and it's a great time to focus on Christ, and it's a great time to focus on many other things. But the problem with the Christmas season, for most of us, if we're honest, is it's a season. 
And when the season ends, all the feels end. All the energy and the passion and the, the wonder, it starts to kind of fizzle out. I'm not talking a long time. I'm talking by January 1st here, if we're honest about it. But when we talk about Christmas and we talk about the birth of Christ, and we talk about his life, his death, his resurrection, we have to consider what does it really mean? What does it all really mean? It's nice to have a holiday. Holidays are great. Time off from work is great. Family, that's all cool. But what does it really matter to any of us? What does it really mean? You see, last week, Pastor Carlos introduced how the prophets from long ago predicted the birth of a Savior. From long ago and the possibilities of it narrowing down to one individual person are astronomical. The possibilities that all this years and generations and generations and centuries of time leading to prophecy to actually culminate in one person, the chances, oof, crazy. But yet it happened. Yet it happened. Yet Jesus was born. The Messiah has come. Emmanuel, God with us. And we love it. And we love it. And we, we thank God for that. But we know that that's not where the story ends. We know that Jesus was born for a purpose. We know that God came in flesh for a purpose. We know that a child was born. But as we'll get into today, a son was given. So when we talk about this son being given, it's a son that's being given over for the redemption of everybody for us to be restored to our full value as human beings, for God to work out his purpose in humanity, to bring humanity out of sin, out of death, and restore us back through Jesus. That's the basics of it. But as you understand this, that is a very complex, because how does God do this? And why? What's God's motive in this? What does he get out of it? What what, what is he doing? Now, I'm going to tell everyone, don't let the holiday season blind you to the reality of what God is doing. Don't let the the holiday season and all people all going out all over the place, spending mad money on all these different things, don't let all that cloud your judgment and your perception of what God is doing and what he's speaking to you. Don't let this Christmas season just be another season to rack up. Don't Don't let this season just be another one and just a long list. Oh, Christmas again. Don't let that happen. Let's really focus on what God is doing. You see, we affirm as people of faith, as people in God and Christ, we affirm that Jesus was born, but we also affirm that Jesus died. And when we say we affirm that Jesus died, we say he died for a purpose. Now, on the surface, this death might not make that much sense. Jewish prophet executed by Roman government. Okay, but what does that actually mean? And how is that significant to the point where you have this message spread across the entire world through generations and generations and generations of time? Well, to understand how Jesus' death means anything, you have to understand something that's important. And this is an important, important aspect. Now, if you're a huge Bible nerd, if you're an astute biblical reader and studier, This one's right up your alley. I'm telling you right now. You're going to love this one. But if you're new to the Bible, I'm going to introduce this to you. 
It's a concept that's not unique to Christianity. It's not. I will tell you that. It's not unique to Christianity. It's in all different religions all over through time. It's, it's a thing. It's a thing. But in Jesus, this thing means everything. And this thing that I'm talking about is the key to understanding why Jesus' death matters. And it boils down to one word, one term, sacrifice. Everybody say that word real quick. Sacrifice. Ooh, that sounds heavy, right? That sounds heavy. See, we say in church a lot of times that Jesus' death was an atoning sacrifice. Atoning sacrifice. Who, who talks like that? What, what is that? See, that's one of them church words. You know what I'm saying? That's one of those them church terms, atoning sacrifice. I don't, you hear people say that in real life? No, no, you don't. No, you don't. Maybe you heard someone one time, but no. But sacrifice. See, sacrifice, it's, it's an interesting word because what it means in its, its most rudimentary form, its most basic form, is an act of giving up something valued, something important, for the sake of something that is regarded as more valuable. It's a sacrifice. Now, if you're a baseball fan, and I know we have a few out here, some baseball fans out here. If you're a baseball fan, you might be familiar with the strategy known as the sacrifice fly. You know about the sacrifice fly, baseball fans out here? The sacrifice fly. So if you're not a baseball fan, let me just break it down to you real quick. You have a batter, and they're at bat, and you have a runner, let's say third base, and that, the batter that's, that's up at bat will hit a fly ball. And this fly ball is going to make an out. Pretty much established. Everyone knows that. But in the rules of baseball, once the ball is caught for an out, that runner may advance to score. So the, the batter will not score. They're out. But in their sacrifice, they advance the team forward. They let a run score. This idea of sacrifice is important because something has to be sacrificed in order to advance. Now, throughout history, throughout history, in many different cultures, what was sacrificed, usually, in many cases, was an animal. Animal sacrifice. A common religious tradition throughout the whole world. An animal, and not just any animal, a healthy animal, a pure animal, would have to be sacrificed in order to advance society forward, or, or, as more commonly, or to make peace between people. To bring peace, some animal would have to be sacrificed. So if I had a transgression against you or you have one against me, we could solve it out. But something has to be sacrificed. Something has to be given so that we can have peace between us. We can have peace. And this sacrifice has to happen in order for things to go forward, for order for things to be at peace, for order, in order for things to be protected. And one idea about sacrifice, or one, one biblical version of this in sacrifice that we might know about in terms of an animal having to die to protect other people is in the story of the plague. Now, you might know this one. Have you ever seen the old school Ten Commandments, Prince of Egypt, all the stuff like that? This is in memes and stuff, too. I mean, it's not just uh, in the movies now. You might know this story, that when the Israelite people were in slavery in Egypt, there was a whole, whole bunch of plagues that happened because that ruler of Egypt, he just, just wasn't getting it. He just wasn't understanding God's power. So eventually what happened was God said, there's going to be another plague. And this is a big one. Every firstborn will die. But, but I will instruct my people. 
you will be inside when this plague spreads. And not only will you be inside, but you'll be inside and you'll be protected. Here's how. You're to sacrifice an animal. And you're going to have a meal of that animal too. But you're going to take that blood of that animal. And you're going to put it over your doorposts. So if you're inside, that plague, that death will pass over your house and will not come near to you. Still, that tradition is celebrated in the holiday of Passover, which is what it's called. But think about this. For the Israelite people to do that, what do they need? They need to have faith. They need to have faith that that blood that they put over their doorposts was enough. Keep that in mind. That blood is enough to protect and save them from death. Keep that in mind. When we talk about the Passover, when we talk about this idea of an atoning sacrifice, we got to really think about what these phrases mean because they're rooted in the scriptures. They're rooted in the stories of the Bible that are passed down to us to learn from. Atonement, that's like, again, that's one of those church words. It's like, yeah, it's one of those words that people don't really use that much. But atoning is, is actually a very real concept. Let's say you and I went out to eat. Let's say when I went out, you and I went out to eat. And it's time to pay the bill. So we owe something. It's time to pay the bill. And I say, oh, I got it. And then you say to me, like, no, 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 no. I got it. And you pay for it. See, the word atonement means to cover. And what we might say to each other in that situation is, no, 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 dude, no, no, no. I'll cover you. I'll cover you. See, the deal of atonement and an atoning sacrifice is simply this. I owe, but you pay. I owe, but I'm not paying for it. You're paying for it. And, you know, for, if we're friends, maybe I'll get the next one. You know, you know how that works. You know, don't let anybody uh, <laughs> take you for that. But the idea is that I owe something and you pay. And all I have to do is trust that you're good for the money. I have to trust you that you got this. You got this. It's all good. And you say to me, no, 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 dude, I got you. Don't I will cover what you owe. I got this. See, it's interesting because this requires faith too. And faith is really the root of what this all is. We have to actually believe that God is true to his word. We have to actually believe that God will do what he said he would do. That when Jesus was born, there was generations of prophecy, generations of foretelling, generations of wisdom that are all pointing to his birth. But there was also generations pointing to his death. There was also prophetic words that were pointing to what he would do through his life, through his teachings. And ultimately, through his sacrifice. Here's a famous one. A famous one that we have talked about in many different ways in church. It gets passed along, a famous prophecy. And it's in Isaiah chapter 53. Now, Isaiah is a prophet. He is a messenger of God. He is a man that has received special messages from God to be able to communicate to the people to be able to communicate to the community 
and so on and so forth. And these words have been saved. Isaiah had his team of scribes. They wrote down these prophecies. They were able to save them, pass them on through generations of time. And we still have them today that we can look back into these words and we can discuss this. So this is in Isaiah chapter 53. Now this, it's a really heavy passage right now. And I got to admit, when I first started to really study the Bible, when I would come across passages like this, I thought it was weird. I thought it was strange. Like, what, what, what is he talking about? Like, what is he really getting at here? What is he really discussing here? And how does this all work? But then I realized, as I matured in faith, that I have to really understand that this is about what God is doing, and it's also about me and what my response is to these words. So in talking about a Savior, in talking about God's move to restore the world, it wasn't what you might think. It wasn't brash. It wasn't cocky. It wasn't arrogant. It wasn't a flex in any way. It wasn't mean. It wasn't cruel. It was this. Isaiah 53, starting at verse 4. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace? Well, that was on him. And by his wounds, we're healed. Stop, stop, stop. Wait, wait, what? Hold on. Wait, listen, time out. How does that work? You mean to tell me that someone that, I mean, just, this, is, this is crazy. Someone is going to take my punishment. I'm doing something wrong. I'm hurting people. But someone else is taking a punishment for me? Me? Someone is going to be pierced for my transgressions? Someone is going to be hurt when I should be the one hurt and punished? Why would anyone do that for you? Why would anyone do that for you? I mean, th- you got to think about this here, people. Why, like, just think about yourself. Why would, why would someone do that for me? I mean, me of all people. I can understand someone else maybe. But me? Me, God? <laughs> you might want to pick someone else that's more worth your time. And I've had those thoughts too. Really, God? You would take me? You would take on my sin? You would take on my transgressions that I've done with other people? You would take that on me? You take that from me and put it on yourself? Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Well, let's keep going. We, all like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So wait a minute. All of us messing up. All of us acting a fool. All of us doing crazy things out here. Hurting, sinning, all these things. And yet, and yet, he looks at that and says, you know what? I got this one. I got this one. He was oppressed and afflicted, 
yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is, sil- uh, its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living for a transgression of my people. He was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering, for sin, he will see his offspring prolonged in his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. If you've been in church for a long time, you have heard all that before many times. But I say to you again, don't let familiarity blind you to the core truth of what God is talking about. Don't let the holiday season blind you from the core truth that God is talking about, because here's the reality, everybody. I need a Savior. I need a Savior. I need someone to save my life. And not just when I was 16 years old. Every single day. I need a Savior to take me by the hand and lead me away from temptation and sin. I need a Savior that when I'm feeling all sorts of angry, to shut my mouth. I need a Savior for someone to come and teach me what is right and what is wrong so that my children, therefore, can know what is right and what is wrong. I need a Savior, and so do you. And let me tell you this. This scene right here, pierced, punished, pain. These are heavy words. All these terms and phrases right here, it's amazing. Because this is how God is going to show his power. See, later on in the scripture, there's a crazy scene. There's a crazy, crazy scene in the book of Revelation where the person telling us this prophecy says he looks to a throne, a throne of power, but he sees a sacrificed lamb. It's the same lamb that Jesus is. His sacrifice is what God calls a power move. His sacrifice is something that was done for us. He should not have suffered, but he did. But he chose to. Why? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. There might be no one else in this world who loves you, but he does. And even if you have people who do love you, no one will love you as much as Jesus will. Nobody will love you as much as he does. Why? Because he's God. He is God Almighty that came to dwell among his people to save them from their sins. How? By taking taking our sins upon himself, being that pure, atoning, sacrifice offering. You know, before I said, I owe and you pay, we owe. But he paid. He paid. You know, it's interesting because um, I've struggled with this. 
for most of my life. When I came to faith as a teenager, it was very hard for me, very hard for me, to accept that God loved me. It was hard for me. I thought to myself, how could God love me? How could God love me, but also has to do his thing and judge me at the same time? How could God look at my life and say that, listen, man, you might not think you're worthy, but you're worth my very life? How could that be? And don't get me wrong. I love God. I love God. I love the scriptures. I love talking about God, fellowshipping with God, teaching about God. Don't get me wrong. I love it all. I love it all. And I was doing it all. I was you know, ministering and everything through the years. But there came a point in my life where I had to really think about, does God love me? See, because I used to think about it like this. I'll be honest with you. I used to think it like this. I didn't, I didn't think about it in the love sense. I, used, I thought about it in almost like a military sense. Like God is the general and I'm a soldier. I'm a soldier for God. I'm doing ministry. I'm a soldier for him. I'm a soldier for Christ. But I didn't know that the battle, that in the battle, the main weapon was God's love. I didn't know that that was important. And I'll admit this too is I struggle with that so deeply, so deeply, to the point where I really had to question myself and say, what do I really know about God? What do I really know about him? See, I, I, I know he's there. I know he's real. I affirm all that. I affirm that he created the world. I affirm all that. I affirm he has a plan. I, I, I'm with that. Amen. But when we talk about God's love, and how God's love led him to let himself to be a sacrifice, that's when you really get to know the heart of God. The heart of God. Now, I've seen many people who claim to love God, but they don't love others. They don't love others. And I question that because if the love of God is so good, that he would give his own life for you, for you, doesn't that mean he would give his own life for someone else too? Isn't that what that means? Wouldn't that be true as well? You know, it's funny, I, um, <laughs> and maybe you've said this or heard this too, there was a, a, a co-worker of my wife one time at, a, at, at Kalina School, and uh, she tried to invite him to church. And uh, he said this line, and I've, uh, and, I've, and I've heard this line, and maybe you've said it too. He said, oh, <laughs> man, if I walk in there, that place will burn down. <laughs> and it's funny because I thought, well, if it didn't burn down when I walked in, I think you'd be all right. But it's funny because we tend to think that way, right? Oh, <laughs> you don't know how bad I am. You don't know how bad I was. And the reality is, yeah, you were bad. You were straight up bad. And so was I. However, however, God still did what he did for you. He still did what he did for you. You owe. He paid for you. And I know that's a struggle for us. 
I know it's a struggle for us in our society because we feel like we have to do a lot. We have to do and do and do and do and do. I mean, let's just look at the season we're in. Your value to someone else might be determined by the value you spent on them. But how's that right? Now, it might go, now, no, 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 don't, don't, don't get high and mighty because it might be both ways. It might be both ways, everyone. You might get a gift and you might say, oh, that's nice. Oh, but we see through that. Oh, but we see through all of that. In our society, we're hustlers. We're constantly on the go. Forward, 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 forward. Not valuing rest. Even in our times we rest, we feel guilty about resting because we should have been doing something else. And then on top of that, the holiday season is supposed to be about family and togetherness and baby Jesus and all this stuff. And yet here we are brawling for supplies, fighting constantly, trying to outdo the person across the street because they put their lights up. Oh, great. Now I got to put my lights up. Looking around left and right, going outside. I did this. Going outside. Can I see the tree from the window? Oh, yes. Love that look. I, I, I did that. I, I did that. I did that. I did it. I'll admit it. But are we blinded by the birth, the light? I mean, are we blinded by the lights that we don't look at the lights? Are we blinded by the lights and the celebration, but we lose the core of that Jesus is here, was born, lived, died, resurrected, and that his death means something to us? Because, honestly, you can be in church for a long time and say that Jesus died for you, but so what? Has it really impacted your life? Has it really impacted your life? If we affirm that Jesus is a Savior and saved us from our sins, and yet we keep going through sin and sin and sin and sin and sin, does his death really matter? Because we can have a holiday. We can do all the rituals, but it don't mean nothing. We're going to have a big holiday, Merry Christmas, all that. But it doesn't mean anything. We can, we can even soak up God's love but hate somebody else. Devalue them because what? They didn't give you the right Christmas present? But are, aren't we supposed to be celebrating the birth of the Savior who redeemed our lives, who saved us from our sin, which if you really think about it, he saved you from yourself. He saved you from you and your own selfish ambitions. We don't measure up to God, and yet still he did what he did. There's nothing you can do that will outdo what he did. There's no ritual you can do. There's no sacrifice you can make that will have any type of equality to what God did. All you have to do is trust And believe that his sacrifice, that his blood that was shed is enough. Is enough. Simply put, the sacrifice that set us free wasn't done by us. It was done for us. It was done for us. Because there's nothing else you can do. 
You just have to believe it's, it's the best. You have to believe that what he does covers everything. And you have to then look at other people knowing that they might be in need of the same gift that you've received and spread that message outward to say, listen, Merry Christmas. God is here. And he has a message for you. And it's good news. It's good news. Forget about the checklist. I know that's hard. Forget about the rituals. And I know that's hard. Can we just, just focus on Jesus? Can we just focus on Jesus? Not the Jesus that we see as a cute little baby in the nativity set. Can we just focus on him and who he is? If there was no lights, if there was no tree, if there were no songs, and if it was just him, would that be enough? Would that be enough? If there's no glamour, if there's no traditions, and it was just him, would that be enough? On the cross, it was just him. It was just him pierced for our transgressions, punished for our sins, wounded so that we could be healed. I ask you today, is that enough? Do you believe that that is enough? That he did all that for you and that you can live a life that shows the whole world that that is enough, that I owed and God himself paid. Is that enough for us? Don't get blinded by the season. Look at Christ. Look at him. Because we have to be honest about our lives. We have to be honest about our testimonies. As our testimony demonstrating a life where you say that that's enough. Are you a person who, hey, your neighbors and your coworkers, they know you go to church. But is your life showing one that is honoring the sacrifice that God has done? And how would you do that? Are you living a life like him? Are you set free from sin? Or is sin your comfort food? Is sin something you dabble in because, well, I had a tough day, you know? You need to release. And I'm not talking about things that you might initially think about with sin, things that are typically seen as egregious. I'm talking about selfish motivations, about a spirit that says, my value is in this and not Christ. I'm talking about passing up opportunities to love people, passing up opportunities to help people, Because if we're honest, that's our lives too. We're busy, 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 busy that we neglect others. We're busy, busy, busy trying to do these things to make ourselves look good instead of actually being good. Is Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection, is that good enough for you though? Is that good enough for you? 
It's so amazing that God would do this. It's so amazing that he experienced that pain, and he experienced it fully, fully. See, crucifixion, that was graphic, graphic. And the Romans, they perfected it. They were good at it because it wasn't only a way to execute criminals. It was a way to execute criminals publicly so that if y'all want to get out of line, just look at that. And yet he suffered through that for your sake and mine. I mean, he cried out himself, quoting a psalm, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He experienced pain. He knows. He knows. But you have to believe that those wounds will lead to your healing. I know many of us have been hurt. Many of us are being hurt presently. I'm here to tell you today, though, that there is a Savior, and his name is Jesus. And he wants you to know, whether you're young, old, rich, poor, whatever rank you have in church, he wants you to know that he is here for you, that he took all your burdens on himself to lead to your healing and to your freedom. But is that enough for you? Is that really enough for you? Like I said, I've struggled with it for a long time. And don't get me wrong, I was ministering. I was serving. But I really struggled with this idea, wait a minute, is, do I really, I really value this? Is this important to me? Is this really like the, the, the big thing for me? And it wasn't until, honestly, having my own children that it started to click more of love, sacrifice, of giving so that someone else can have more, taking from myself so that my children would have better. And it might seem like a small thing, but it's not. It's a godly thing. And those of us who are parents here, you know what that's like. You know what that's like. And it's a struggle. It's a struggle. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes you don't want to do it. You don't want to drive them there. You don't want to get this. You don't want to do this. But you'll do it. Why? Because you love them. How much more does God love you? In our eyes, we're all his children. How much more does God love you that he himself would take your punishment, would take your sin? How much more does he love you? I know it's been tough the past two years. I know it's been a hard time. And I know more so that many of us have really been reflecting and struggling with faith. I know it. And that's what circumstances do. That's what life does. It causes you to struggle. Other people cause you to struggle. Everything seems difficult, seems hard. But I think today, I truly believe this, I think today is a time to let it go. I think today is a time to let it go and just trust God that what he did was enough. So if you are feeling down, you're feeling depressed, you're feeling like you're unloved, you're feeling like you're unworthy, you're feeling like you messed up too much, 
You feel like you've been so far from God and that you've been hustling so hard, but you feel empty inside. I want you to stand up right now. Right now. I don't know. I know there's people in here. I want you to stand up right now. I know. I know. I want you to stand up right where you are right now, right here and right now. I want you to stand up right where you are, right where you are, because God is calling out to you. And it doesn't matter who you are, because God wants you to know that he's here and he's here for you, that he did what he did for you. Whether you've been in church for a long time, whether you've been in church since your first day, whether you're serving in church or not, God is calling you to stand before him right now. And what I want you to do is silently pray right now and say, God, what you did is enough. You're enough. See, there's not going to be any music today. This is just you and God. This is just you and God. Say, God, what you did is enough. What you did is enough. God, I'm out here running myself ragged, but I want to rest in your outstretched arms because you are enough. God, I've been doing things that I think you're impressed by, but honestly, no one can do what you can do. No one can lay a foundation besides the one that you've been laid. God, I'm hurt. God, people have hurt me, and I'm struggling to love them the way you loved me. But God, please come into my heart. Come into my heart. I want to know you. I want to know you. God, help me to value you. Help me to live a life that honors you. Help me to live a life that when I leave this place where it is so easy to say certain things and do certain things, that when I walk out in these streets, God, please help me to be the person you want me to be. God, help me to love my family. God, help me to love people the way you love, God. God, I owe, but you paid. You paid, God. I owe, but you paid. God, let me not have circumstances destroy my faith in you, God. Help my faith be rooted, deep roots, deep into the earth and hold on to you. That whatever storms may come, God, I will hold on to you no matter what. God, help me not to be blinded by the season, but know that you are here. God, help me. Help me. Help me. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for continuing in sin, yet I say I love you. I'm sorry for continuing in my sinful ways. God, help me, Lord. Help me, God. Help me, God. Help me, God. Help me, God. Lord Almighty, you're a good, good father, and I'm loved by you. You were pierced. You were wounded. You were hurt for my sake so that I may live freely, God. God, all the people here today and all the people who will watch this in the future, God, my prayer is for all of us to believe and hold on to the fact that what your sacrifice did is enough for us to live in freedom, God. That your blood that was shed on the cross is enough for us, God. That we trust you, that we trust in you, that we put our hand in your hand, God. 
God, help us to have those silent moments with you in our daily lives, Lord God, to reflect on this, to be renewed by your spirit, God. God, please help us, Lord. Please help us, God, to honor your sacrifice by living a life free from sin, because that is why you died, Lord, to free us from sin. Your death freed us from sin, God. And we confirm that in the name of Jesus, Lord God, that sin has no place in our lives anymore because of what you did, not because of what we did, but because of what you did, Lord God. And we trust and we believe that that is enough. God, I pray that everybody here, as we leave this place, that we don't leave alone, God. That we leave this place knowing that there is a community here, a fellowship here, that there's people here who can guide us and lead us and teach us and draw us closer to you, God. God, please help us to know that you are near. May this Christmas season, Lord God, be a different one. May it be a milestone in our understanding for you that we can look back and say, that's where we were and we're going forward, always forward, Lord God. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, keep you, may his face shine upon you, may his countenance be upon you all the days of your life. Amen. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch On Demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.